Okay, hello there, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to uh, this week's version of uh, The Daily Thread. I'm Larry Gordon. Uh, Nachi is uh, taking the day off, and he asked me to uh, try to go uh, solo, which is uh, what I'm going to do. Of course, uh, I'm used to uh, really basically uh, doing The Daily Thread uh, together with him. Uh, and we bounce off each other, different ideas, uh, accentuating usually the different uh, thought processes that we have. Uh, he usually disagrees with me, I, and he says so, and I disagree with him sometimes, but I don't say so. But anyway, that's the nature of the uh, generation gap and, uh, and the differences uh, be between us. But uh, we're going to cover some issues today uh, because we know we have a vast audience um, really around the world, and uh, we didn't have an opportunity to record this week. I was traveling and uh, came back uh, earlier in the week and uh, just uh, very, very uh, busy and distracting schedules. But the, the news cycle, the news cycle uh, doesn't stop. The fact of the matter is, by the way, in case you're curious or interested, the first time I sat in a uh, recording studio like this, um, talking into a microphone like this, was back in uh, 1975, believe it or not, when uh, I uh, got a, uh, a gig doing... Uh, daily radio program in the morning between 6 a.m. and uh, 8 a.m. on uh, a station uh, that I don't even know if it exists anymore. It's 105.9 FM in New York. It was WHBI in those days, and then uh, that evolved into, uh, as some of you may be aware, into uh, WFMU, which was a, a great story unto itself. You know, uh, that lasted many, many years. Uh, I was there three and a half years, and then the next guy took over and was there for the next 40 years. Uh, until uh, that uh, program dissolved uh, a few years ago, probably because of the nature of uh, how social media took off. Anyway, that's uh, by way of introduction, and that's uh, this is an opportunity for me to say whatever I want to say without um, Naki making uh, faces at me or rolling his eyes. So uh, there are people here in the studio looking at me, uh, but no one's rolling their eyes yet. So, But it just gives me a very unique opportunity to uh, to sit here and to pontificate and elucidate uh, some things that uh, I'm thinking about, uh, some ideas. And I don't know when Naki's going to post this, but in terms of uh, the news story that has been being followed very closely about uh, that uh, submarine, uh, I forget what it's called, but they have a name for it, that uh, has five people on it that is missing. Um, by the time it gets posted, we may have more of a conclusive uh, information about it. It doesn't look very promising as uh, by this time... Uh, they've ran out of their uh, oxygen supply. They're 12,500 uh, feet uh, below the surface of the, uh, of the water, not too far from here uh, in New York. They're up in, uh, near the Canadian border in Newfoundland. Uh, people that fly to the Middle East, fly to Israel especially, you're probably familiar with Newfoundland because that's the last piece of land that the planes fly over before they uh, go over the Atlantic Ocean and hit, uh, you know, London or Paris, depending on what uh, uh, route they are taking. But um, unfortunately, uh, things do not look very promising for um, for the uh, those people, though, you know, uh, we're praying for them, and we hope that there's good news uh, uh, very soon. Uh, the Coast Guard reported earlier today, this is Thursday, June 22nd, the Coast Guard reported earlier today that there was a, a debris field uh, found in the area that they were searching. Uh, there's a lot of different theories circulating about what happened. Um, number one, uh, these are people that uh, have studied the, the the story and the history of the Titanic, 
uh, which uh, was uh, a ship that was uh, it was a, a upscale, uh, first class type of uh, ship that was built uh, in the early 1900s, and uh, it was built in such a technological advanced way that they called it unsinkable. And you know the rest of the story. You know that it went out to, to the seas, uh, traveling, I believe, from Europe to the United States. I think it was, uh, and uh, it hit an iceberg. And, uh, and and sunk, and, and unfortunately a lot of people uh, died and the ship sunk and is laying there at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and uh, and this, this group of people, this group of five people, are, um, they're not, uh, I'm not gonna, they're, they're just not experts, maybe they have some expertise, but they have an obsession with studying the, uh, what happened to the, um, to the Titanic back in over 100 years ago back in 1912, so 111 years ago, uh, uh, to be exact. But like I said, things don't look uh, very promising uh, for that group uh, down there. Uh, you know, it has to be, I was just telling somebody in my office today, it's, it's, when you set out on a mission like this, you, you know that it's dangerous. You know that there's very high risk involved. And you know, uh, you, you, you've, you've, the numbers are in your side, you're gonna make it back and you're gonna have a great story to tell. But there's always a risk, and I think maybe uh, one of the things that um, attracts somebody to this type of thing is the potential danger that they're uh, going to experience and the story that they might be able to tell uh, when, they, when they get back. There's no question about it. This is uh, part of the allure of uh, doing these types of risky things. People climb Mount Everest, you know, in, in the worst type uh, of weather. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Uh, that people get uh, get uh, drawn to and they and they uh, and they like to do anyway. Um, you're listening to the Daily Thread. Uh, I'm Larry Gordon. Aki Gordon is uh, not here today, and uh, we're just going to have a conversation between uh, you and me today. By the way, folks, is of course uh, if you follow uh, the art site of uh, great luminaries that had a tremendous impact in the world is Gimel Thomas, uh, the third of Thomas. Uh, it is the 29th yard site uh, of Rabbi Menachem and Moshnerzin, uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe Zecher Kaddish Levracha. Now, it's, uh, we're here not too far. We're about 12, 15 minutes ride to the Ohel uh, in Queens. Uh, I guess we'll be going there later tonight. Uh, although, you know, I, I go to the Ohel a few times a year. Um, I dive in for the Yambas there uh, a few months ago when I had my mother's yard site. Um, you know, but I feel that I, I've been there on Gimel Thomas a number of times, but I feel that uh, sometimes I feel that on Gimel Thomas I should stay out of the way and let other people go there because I can go there any night that I want, you know, on a whim. I can, uh, you know, look at the clock and it's 11 o'clock at night and I'm not that tired and it's a Saturday night or a Sunday night and say, you know what, let me take a ride over to the OHL and uh, I'll dive in my there. And there's always people there. It's always busy. Why should I go? Why, why some that lives uh, five miles away or seven miles away, why should I go there on a day like this when people fly in from Kazakhstan and from Morocco and from Texas and from Alabama and wherever else they happen to be in the world, whether it's uh, Bozeman, Montana, or somewhere in the Baltics? Uh, why should I go there and have to you know, be a guy that uh, you know, uh, stuffs up the line, so to speak, and gets in the way of people. I know there's a big Indian to visit the Kever of Atzadik on uh, on Zerzite, and of course that's uh, a great deal of the uh, attraction, and that's probably why I'm going to go there uh, late tonight. Um, I know people came in from Eretz Yisrael, and just just for the day, uh, 
A lot of them, I don't know if they're going back this afternoon because it's a little difficult to get back on time for Shabbos, but it's probably a number of flights uh, going back uh, uh, towards the evening so that they could uh, arrive uh, back on Shabbos. Anyway, so um, today is a, it's a very auspicious day. As uh, has been referenced here on this um, on this uh, program uh, many times, many times over the last uh, few months as we've been doing this, I don't know how long we're doing this, we're doing this about six months probably, but uh, we mentioned the fact that uh, we were uh, have a, brought up in Crown Heights in, in a Chabad family, and um, you know the the existence and the the reality of the Rebbe was always uh, a part of a given part of our life. It was not something that was introduced to us or something that was new. Uh, it was something that we that, that we lived with, davening in seven seventy, um, you know, different different types of minyanim with with different people. If you look at the cover of the Five Towns Jewish Times this week, you'll see a, a picture from a Fabrengen that uh, the people who sent us the photo estimate it took place in the 1970s uh, sometimes. And what can I tell you? I don't know all the names of all the people, uh, but I do recognize I, I do recognize a lot of them. And it's really, uh, it's just, it's, um, it's challenging to, to fathom uh, how much time has passed and, uh, and what it means... Uh, to be at the 29th year site of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And uh, even more uh, interesting is the impact that uh, the person that he was is having still today. Uh, I, I think I mentioned it uh, in, in an article that I wrote uh, last week or two weeks ago that uh, we went, uh, Nachi went together with Nissen, and I think uh, I think Yochanan was there. Were you at the CMA Rambam with us? No? no. Yeah, so we went to the CMA Rambam in, in Crown Heights, and... There was ten thousand shares set up on uh, on Eastern Parkway. It was a beautiful night, you know. It was like that was a real summer night. It's like winter is back in New York in the middle of June, but it was it was a beautiful night, and uh, the shares ten thousand shares were set up on Eastern Parkway, from like Brooklyn Avenue to Kingston Avenue approximately, and uh, I looked around the crowd and I saw a lot of people. Most of them I felt were probably under the age of twenty nine. They were young men, nineteen, twenty two, twenty four, twenty six. Uh, and it struck me uh, when I was reflecting on, on that evening and that experience, what struck me was that um, a lot of these guys, a lot of these young men and women too, they, they never saw the Rebbe. They, they weren't born when there was, when there was Lubavitch Rebbe. They, don't, they didn't understand the, 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 the dynamism and the living reality of what it was to go into to 770 on a Shabbos morning or even uh, in the evening or any day of the week and uh, watch uh, the Rebbe come into the shul and how uh, uh, people uh, jockeyed into position to, to daven closer to him and then by the Fabrengans to hang on to his every word. And there was little chaburas in, in the room when they take a break for the, for the singing. There would be little chaburas that people would translate what the Rebbe was saying. People who understand, understood the Rebbe's Yiddish plus their own natural native language. Sometimes it was French, sometimes it was Spanish, sometimes it was English because people who spoke English, they had a lot of people didn't understand Yiddish or certainly couldn't follow uh, the Rebbe's Yiddish. But um, so I was looking at this, this large group of 10,000 people, you know, mostly men, but a lot of women too. And I was thinking to myself that look, look how motivated they are and look how inspired they are. 
uh, and they they never saw the uh, the Rebbe in living color. They never saw him, they never saw the reality of the Rebbe. They'd seen videos, they heard stories probably from their parents and and grandparents, but uh, they were they were missing. I don't, but but on the other hand, I thought to myself, they don't know what they're missing. So the reality that of the Rebbe that they're dealing with, the reality of the Lubavitch Rebbe that they're dealing with is something that is, um, it is a, it is unique, but it's also a, a, an experience uh, uh, in in its totality. This is the reality that it, that it is. It's it's really no different if you reflect upon the inspiration we receive from the story, let's say for example of Moshe Rabbeinu's life or the Avos or the Emos, Emos. You know, we 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 never met with them. We we studied them, we learned about them from the time we started learning Chumash, whatever it was, third grade or fourth grade. But we, um, we, we, never, we, never, we never lived with them, although there was, of course, a generation that, uh, that did live with them. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a unique dichotomy, I think, that exists uh, side by side. Uh, and that's what I saw that night uh, on Eastern Parkway. Those who lived, uh, they were a little bit older, uh, the, in their 50s, 60s, 70s, that lived with the reality of the Rebbe, and uh, those that really never had the opportunity to go to a living, a live living, real, in the flesh, in the flesh and blood uh, type of Fabrengen. Uh, and uh, the, I, to me, it looked like a, uh, uh, something should be missing in their lives, but it didn't look, the, the, the koach, the, the energy and the power of uh, the years that the Rebbe uh, spent on this earth apparently had enough uh, uh, to be able to uh, um, infuse them, infuse them with enough inspiration to uh, lead the type of uh, life they, that they were living. So those are just some thoughts that I wanted to uh, share with you uh, to cover the Earth site here on, uh, on Gimel Thomas. I wrote a story about, um, it's called the Poland, the Poland Dilemma, okay, the the question was whether should should people go to visit uh, Poland? Uh, you know, Pol- Poland Poland is a country in which it's 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 the uh, land is soaked in Jewish blood. Uh, millions of Jews were were killed in Poland, and um, uh, of course, Jews lost their lives during the Holocaust in a lot of countries in Europe, but none as many, not as much as none as many uh, as in Poland. And it seems to me that the uh, the uh, architects of the Holocaust, the uh, the Germans, Yemachima, uh, they saw Poland as the place where they could get the cooperation, I think, of the Polish government and the Polish people and be able to execute their plan. That's where Auschwitz-Birkenau was. That's where Madonna was, uh, the Warsaw Ghetto. You know, they, they saw a weakness in Poland. Maybe they saw not just a weakness, but they saw uh, a hostility, a natural hostility and a hate for Jews to the point where they would become, become complicit in the murder uh, of millions of Jews. Um, so, but the question is now in 2023, do we want to um, take time and go back to, to Poland? And uh, this is what I wrote about this week. It's called The Poland Dilemma because you have an organization like uh, Project Masora that runs has run over the years, over the last 10 years, hundreds of, Hundreds of trips for individual people and for uh, families to uh, to Poland, and um, I went on one of those trips a, a few years ago, and I thought that it was a very important uh, thing uh, thing to do. I, I raised the point in my in my article 
uh, that, about the fact that my, my father-in-law, my in-laws, uh, survived the Holocaust uh, in Poland uh, and uh, lost their entire families, their parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, cousins, all murdered uh, by the Nazis. And my father-in-law said, uh, you know, long before he passed away, that when we discussed the idea of visiting Poland, he said that he would never go back to Poland. He doesn't advise us to go to Poland. He wouldn't want to step on that uh, on the earth there again. But on the other hand, I th- I think that um, now having made that trip, uh, I think it was an important uh, thing to uh, it was an important thing to do. Number one, it's important to go back uh, to memorialize the people who lived their lives there. I mean, Poland was a uh, a paradise for Torah jewelry for a thousand years. Uh, and then it was just turned upside down and and destroyed uh, over a few years uh, in 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 the Holocaust. But I, I think uh, it's something that I still sometimes close my eyes and think about. The walk we had on a summer it was a July, and we walked through the grounds of Auschwitz. You know, the grass was green. It was a nice summer breeze, and uh, the contradiction uh, that uh, there could be a summer day with blue sky and white puffy clouds, and and it was warm outside and and, 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 of course, the barracks that existed were preserved. Uh, the guest chambers where people were murdered in the, in the most violent, uh, uh, difficult-to-fathom way were there for us to walk into and stand there and look around and try to imagine the thought process that people had endured uh, during that time. Then, of course, the crematoria where um, bodies were disposed of um, in the most... Um, what can I say? Disturbing <clears throat> is probably the word that uh, that comes to mind uh, comes to mind the most. But when from Jews um, go back to Poland and show the Polish people that no 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 you didn't you did you didn't get the job done you didn't succeed we are here we are here and we're here and we're davening mincha here and we're having Shabbos here and we're davening chakras here. And whatever has to be done, whatever has to be observed, if we're there at that time, it's something that we're, we're going to do. And you walk on the grounds of Auschwitz, and you walk through these uh, terrible uh, places, and you walk through uh, Madonic, and you go to the cemeteries, and you say till them by the cemeteries, and you visit the Kivre Tzadikim, and you go to the, to the Ramar Shul, uh, and, and, and uh, the other shuls that have been preserved from the, from the time uh, of the war. So that is... Um, a dilemma that 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 is a dilemma. Whether to go to to Poland, whether to visit Poland, whether to um, walk uh, walk there or protest uh, the actions of the, the Nazis and with the complicity of the Polish people, uh, or or not. Now, of course, uh, in this advanced stage, you know, eighty years after the Holocaust in twenty twenty three, Poland, you know, claims that. Uh, they were victims of the Nazis, <clears throat> just like the Jews were. They're no different than the Jews. Um, but uh, those that experienced it, that are still alive, that can tell the story, uh, can tell you about the cruelty uh, of the Polish people and um, um, how sometimes after the war, some Jews try to go back to uh, claim their places where they lived, uh, claim their possessions, and uh, they were rejected and uh, Sometimes violently dealt with by the by the Polish people, who thought that you know every single Jew was killed in the world, so whatever they left behind is theirs. 
But uh, like I said in the uh, article, that is um, that is the dilemma that we um, have to uh, deal with. Anyway, uh, that is uh, this week's uh, this Thursday's edition uh, of the uh, of the Daily Thread. I'll be back next week uh, with Nachi uh, with more. Uh, in the meantime, have a great Shabbos, everyone. We'll speak to you next time.